Hey, everybody. Uh, Jake here. I just wanted to, before we get into this episode, I just wanted to let you know about a special offer from svslearn.com. So in celebration of Inktober, which is happening right now, you can get 30 days free of the the subscription to SVS Learn. Um, This includes the four inking classes that they offer. Uh, It's how to ink, how to ink 2.0, uh, brush pen using a brush pen with Peter Hahn, and then I have a new, brand new inking uh, demo that I've done there, which uh, I go through my tips as you ink along with me. We ink the, like the same drawing together. It's kind of cool. So check that out. What you're going to do is go to svslearn.com/inktober to claim your your 30 days for free. And I uh, hope you enjoy it. And let's get into the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Three Point Perspective, the podcast about illustration, how to do it, how to make a living at it, and how to make an impact in the world with your art. I'm Jake Parker. I'm Lee White. And I'm Will Terry. And all three of us are professional illustrators and have been working in the industry for a combined something like 50 years or something like that. <laughs> you guys are looking at it. <laughs> Will's nervous because he's off script right now. We We're challenged him. We've illustrated a crap ton of books and <laughs> we, uh, we've worked for every publisher in the business, something like that. And every single one. Just about, and we've also been uh, working for like forever. So there you go. It's true. I, I, <laughs> We actually have probably worked for every publisher because little little note to you guys who are just getting in the business. There's only like four publishers, <laughs> and then and they own all of the imprints. Um, so whatever right. wherever they are, even in different states and stuff, they're still owned by these same you know four or five publishers. They used to call them right. the big five, but I don't know. I bet there's some small publishers we haven't worked for. Anyway, each week we're going to come at you with a different topic. And most of the time we're going to agree, and sometimes we're not going to agree, and then Will's going to say I'm wrong, but he's actually wrong. <laughs> All right. We have well, fun with this, don't we? Oh, we I do. should we're... I should add that we had a reader. This, today's topic, I'm going to go ahead and dive in. We're, okay. Reader questions. Somebody sent a, a message to us saying, I really don't like it when you guys are mean to each other. Why do you have to be mean to each other? So we should say we are totally great friends, and we are not serious when we are bragging on each other. Right. But sometimes, sometimes crying yourself to sleep at night on your pillow is therapeutic. (laughs) You know, it does feel good. I always do that on podcasting days. Uh (laughs) It's, it bonds us together more. (laughs) We do have Skype group cries. Um, Anyway. All right. I I just want to, first off, Lee and Will, I just want to say, I see you. I see both of you. <laughs> okay, we can move forward. You should see us. We're on, we're on Zoom. We have cameras, so you should see us. Okay. Um, <laughs> I've lost my questions now. Okay, so today we're going to do reader questions because you guys all the time are chiming in with different questions. And so I, I went to our forums and I went to my email. And you will not shut up. No. <laughs> yeah, please stop no. emailing us. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. We love getting the questions, and so I paraphrased down because a lot of them kind of have the same thing. And reading through them, sometimes, sometimes you get you guys get wordy. We want to first advice is to streamline your question. Like, uh, here's a problem I have. How do I fix it or whatever it is? Um, but so I've paraphrased them down into just kind of a basic grouping. I think I have twelve questions and then and then Jake and Will can obviously chime in with other questions that they get um 
You guys ready to dive in? Yeah, ready. Let's do it. Okay. My image never comes out how I want it to. How can I fix that? Or what's the best way to fix that? I thought I would start and then you guys can chime in because I actually mm. have a... You mean you're going to give them the wrong answer and then I'm going to give them the it. wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I, I, I have a new method that I'm going to challenge you guys, the listeners, to go through with for this specific problem because i see this one a lot and this is going to be the this is actually the topic of my first youtube i've missed my youtube deadline so i had a lot of people sign up for my youtube channel and there's nothing really there except some demos um but this is going to be the topic of my first um demo it's basically uh or my first youtube is these steps to go through the problem that i see is not a drawing or painting problem or sometimes not even a concept problem um, that makes the image kind of go south right there at the end. It's not understanding your process. And mm. so my challenge to you guys is to use my check and X's model of building an image. So you basically came up with a foolproof uh, flow chart on how to create a great image. I did. I did. Um, that's, a, that's a tall, that's, I mean, that's a big claim right there. <laughs> if, I can guarantee you this. If you go through this list, you'll always get a good image. Uh, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, it's bold enough to. I'm taking notes. <laughs> yeah, I want this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, here we go. I actually got to write it down because I don't have it in front of me. You're still um, writing the list? Yeah, I need to. I'm, I'm, like, actually... I'm on number two. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, hold on. Wait, gonna, number, no, wait, number two is draw good. <laughs> number two, become a great illustrator. It's gonna, number two is like a five-year step. No, okay, so here we go. So the, the basic idea here is having this list in front of you, which I'm going to have on my YouTube channel, and I'll link to it here in our, in our notes as well. Uh, to have this list in front of you, and if you did each step, you just write down a check. If you didn't do one of these steps, you have to mark an X there. And typically, when when I look at people's art and I see the stuff that they're struggling with on the forum, if I went down this list, I'd see X's all over the place. Mm. This is the stuff that me and Jake and Will do naturally, um, and other, other pros do it naturally because they've done it so much. But here we go. Number one is start out with your written concept and do your research and development. Mm. What that means is reading, looking, uh, sampling other art, you know, gathering things together. You know, a, a graphic designers make a, what's it called? An image board or a, or a con right. concept board, mood board. That's what mm. a lot of times what they put together. Yeah. So those are, and every the, research and development can mean different things on different projects, but just going through the steps, don't just dive in. The problem that I see most students do is that they just dive into the finish and then they're saying, what's wrong with this image? And then, and it's like, oh, the hand's drawn poorly and the composition is bad and the value hasn't been worked out and all this stuff hasn't happened. Um, so you start out at the beginning and, say, and kind of start to get into this universe of what this image is going to be. So that's the first thing. And that mm -hmm. gets your mind percolating and making connections that maybe wouldn't have been there otherwise. So start with your R&D. Give yourself a day or two on that if you can. I realize that every project doesn't allow that, but if you can, give yourself a day or two of just messing around with ideas. You're not even drawing it, by the way. This is just writing and looking at stuff. Um, your next box, number item number two. Can I, can I oh, go ahead. just a little yeah, bit? Yeah, 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 please. Um, I, I can't remember the guy's name, but he taught a graph or taught a character design class, and it was 
the first time I had ever really, this was quite a while ago, the first time I'd ever really thought about it, he made his students write a lot about the characters they were going to draw. So they, mm. and, 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 and it really does start there. It, I think a lot of us try to just make it up in our mind, but we can, we start with an incomplete list. We start with an incomplete story that way. I think when you write down mm. everything about and d- the description about your character and what their motivations are and what they likes and dislikes and how old they are and just a complete description of a character, then your, yeah. then your drawing is w- much more informed. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I totally agree. I have a I have a character interview sheet that when I'm doing a new book, I fill out the char- the interview as if I'm being interviewed as the character, and it's really interesting. Like, what's your favorite food? All this stuff. Who's your enemy? What 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 is the most embarrassing thing that's happened to you? All these different questions I ask myself to really start to flesh out this character. That's really interesting. Like, I I do that. I've never like written it out, but that's everything that's going through my mind as I'm drawing or as I'm like developing something is, okay, where did this character, uh, you know, where did they come from? What was their day like yesterday and what put them in this situation today? So I am thinking those things. I haven't thought to like actually write it down and maybe you don't have to write it down, but if that helps you to be mindful of this, I think that's great. I just want to add too, like having a mood board or having some sort of uh, reference sheet for the drawing that you're doing helps you to not go too far off track. So when you're thinking, oh man, this looks dumb or this isn't turning out the way I want it, just go back to your, your reference, your mood board, see what someone else has done successfully and, uh, and see what, where, where the, the, the difference between yours and that one is. And it, it might steer you back to the right direction. You realize, oh, I didn't add shadow yet. (laughs) I just did light. Uh, (laughs) Once I add shadow, you know, it's going to make it. Yeah. It gives you get that mood board gives you a bullseye sort of thing. And you're always, Mm -hmm. you can always come back to that, to that bullseye. Whereas if you don't have that, you know, and, and again, as you get familiar with this process, you can abbreviate it and use it how you want to. It's made this whole process step-by-step is made for you to tweak it as far as you want to. But if you haven't done any of these things, I say be really formal about it and just, go through it and, and do it. Um, all right. So, Oh, I was going to say about the character interview. One of my favorite questions is what's your character's favorite, or if you're answering as the character, what's your hidden talent? And I love the hidden talent Mm. because it's a, it's something somebody's good at, but for some reason they're not showing people they're good at it. Mm -hmm. And so what is that about? It's a really interesting kind of mental thing to go through with a character. Um, okay. So you've done your R and D there's a box next to that. You've done your research and development. You get a check and then you move to the next one. And the idea is you don't move to the next one until a check is in that box. It's really clean. So the next stage is thumbnailing. Um, and thumbnails are, are meant to be rough. A thumbnail is not a clean sketch. I really want to hit that home because some people mm-hmm. are like, Oh, I just, I did a drawing. But that doesn't mean it's a thumbnail. A thumbnail is a very exploratory process. It's very, it doesn't have to be super sloppy. I'm not saying just be sloppy if you're not that kind of drawer, but you just don't want to go into micro detail and draw these little beautiful drawings. It really is a 
I, I, I equate it to clay and you're just kind of sculpting quick sculptures. Like you're just making quick things and you're discarding them just as fast and saying, Oh no, wait, what if I move this over here? Oh wait, what if I show it from a different perspective? Um, David and I, David Hone and I use uh, this method in our illustration class that we teach and we just have it as teapots. Like we're, we assign 50 different views of a teapot and a teacup. And man, mm. after you get through those first 10 and there's not even concept involved in this, but you know, as you get to, after you get done with the first 10 or 11 and you can start digging and man, once you get to about 30 or 40, it's, it's really, really good. But a lot of students, I think you say, did you use some thumbnails? They say, yes. What that means is they did two sketches. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, this is, this is a big one. This is actually bigger than, than I think people realize. And, uh, I've worked a ton with, um, with students and interns and assistants who you know who are all at the college college level, and they'll bring me sketches and drawings that they're doing and and say you know Jake give me give me feedback and I'll say this is okay I, I immediately see like problems compositional problems or proportion problems, and I'm like show me your thumbnails that you did for this I, I want to look at those first, and more often than not it's like uh, I just went right into it and I'm like okay okay. That's where you went wrong. You wasted so much time figuring it out big on the page when you could have spent, you know, that, that same amount of time spent doing 30 different little thumbnails and really landed on something amazing and, and then moved on to that. It's going to make your life so much easier doing it that way. Yep. Will, you want to add anything to that before I move forward? I'm good. All right. So you've done your R&D. You got your check. You've done your 50 sketches, and that's just a minimum, by the way. You can do more. But you got, you've done your 50. You get a check in that box. You move to your three rough sketches with value. So that is taking your favorite three thumbnails and basically make them a little bit bigger. Now, this is not a clean, finished sketch. It's just a, a, a cleaner sketch than the thumbnail. You're kind of saying, okay, I like this. I'm going to polish it a little bit more and see if it holds up. The reason you do three of them is because one of them might not hold up, and the way to be objective is to have more than one option. It's easy to pick things, and it's also, by the way, easy to show other people things when there's more than one option, because it's hard to show somebody, especially who's not an artist, and say, well, what do you think of this image? And it's a sketch. They don't know mm -hmm. how to answer that question, but you say, which one do you like out of these three? typically people will start talking because they're then now they're not on the hook to say well, i like it or i don't like it they say right. i like this one the best well and and more often than not if they're if they're anybody but my wife they're going to be like i love it it's really good <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's very hard to please artists spouses i'm going to throw that yeah. out there <laughs> They get so familiar with it, they're like, oh, I don't really like it. It's not great. <laughs> so right. if I if, if Lisa's stoked on an image, then I'm happy. But if you she comes by and she's like, right. if she kind of like, oh, I like that. I'm just like, oh, man, I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you got your concept R&D. You got your 50 thumbnails. You did three rough studies with value. I do want to add with value because a line drawing is not, unless you're just leaving it line drawing as a final, the line drawing really has nothing doesn't look much like the finish is going to look. So the think of the um, the rough as being kind of a mini version of what the finish is going to look like. So you can test like, are these values going to work? Is this composition go actually going to work? The only way to test composition, in my opinion, I like to get Jake's view on that because he does line a lot more than I do. But I think you can't get you can't totally decide on a rough until there's value. Mm -hmm. mm. I. Uh... 
you know, even even I okay, you caught me a little off guard because I'm like <laughs> my brain's going three different directions. When I'm doing a um, when I'm doing thumbnails for any sort of like illustration composition type of thing, I I do add layers of value just just to separate foreground, midground, background. Um, even though I end up, it's, it's line work. It, if it's going to be colored, then that means it's going to have light and it's going to have shadow and it's going to have, you know, depth. Right. So even my thumbnails will have, um, my, my thumbnails, I'll block in like lights and, and darks, just, uh, uh, you know, a broad pass on it so that I could see how these, these, um, things are going to silhouette against each other. So yeah, yeah, that, that happens there. If it's a straight up like line drawing, um, unless it's like a composition showing a scene, like if it's just a character, um, value doesn't come into play, but I will do a thing called silhouettes. And this is like the, the thumbnail version of, of doing, um, of, uh, that, you know, if you did thumbnail for an illustration, silhouettes is what you would do for any like single character or a vehicle or a, a building or, or a tree or something like that, any single object. And silhouettes are just a straight black, um, you know, I'll even use a Sharpie or if I'm drawing digitally, it'll be like the fattest brush I could do. And what that does is it forces you to think, um, think not in detail, but in broad shapes. And what are these basic shapes? And you can usually find and find a really cool, interesting shape quickly by doing silhouettes, then sketching out your character, you know, erasing, you know, the arm and make, should I make it fatter or should I make it thinner? Should I make the legs thicker? Oh, should the boots come out here? And, and you're wasting so much time drawing that when you can bust that out with the silhouette so much easier. So that would be like, uh, something I would recommend too. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Silhouettes definitely, definitely go in there. Um, okay, so you got your R and D. You've checked off that. You've checked off your thumbnail, 50 thumbnails. You checked off your three roughs with value. And by the way, you can get feedback on any stage of that that you want to. You can post it to the forums. Which which thumbnails or which roughs do you guys like? That's the stage that I like to get a, opinions on. I don't I don't show people all my thumbnails typically because I get overwhelmed uh-huh. with it. But I do show the three roughs, and I that's where I highly advise you guys to start looking to other people and saying which one do you like, and 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 you and then you modify those. You don't just do three roughs and like pick one and just go straight to finish. You pick it and then you modify it because you want that to to be um, right. Um, uh-huh. And now the, the next two stages, I kind of flip and flop around. I've I, I, depending on where I've been in my career. Now I say once you've got your rough out of the three roughs, you pick the one that you're going to move forward with. I say do a quick color study before going to your last phase, which is your clean sketch. Um, And the reason I say that is because depending on color, sometimes color will change how the composition works. Same way value does. If if something's not separating, like Jake was saying, you want light over dark or dark over light, well, you do that a value study. Color will change things a little bit, and sometimes it'll change how I'm approaching the image, which obviously will change the clean sketch after that. So I say do the color study. Some people do the clean sketch and then do the color study right on top of the clean sketch. Um, So either one of those, um, I don't care. But when I say color study, by the way, that also is not just one. I typically do three or four. I'm doing the finishes for a book right now. The, the, The title page, I did 11 color studies for just the title page because I just really wanted that opening spread to work. Um, And I needed to, 
kind of see how it's fitting within the whole book. And so we just do a bunch of them and they're fast. You're not trying to do a perfect little illustration. Again, you're just trying to block in big areas of color. What's, what's the color balance going to be? Um, and then once you have that, then I go to my clean sketch. Go ahead. For, if you for, for me, the, just to, just to kind of reinforce that the reason to do the color study for me, the way that I use it is, is, uh, I want to see where my, like, kind of like what you said, where my focal point is going to change. I'm looking to see where my accent colors, my, my warm colors are going, my reds in order to, um, you know, basically create that focal point. And is it working with, with everything else? I'm not doing it to, it doesn't take a lot of time. I think a lot, I've seen um, students that have like kind of stressed out about color study because they spend too much time on it. It's just to get an indication of whether you're, you're maintaining your story you know, whether you're, you're right. tell, you know, um, and you're not detracting from it. All of a sudden you have like, like, um, like maybe you didn't count on the fact that the, one of your characters has red hair and that the main object that is being talked about is a red wagon or something. And the, and now you see that the, the character with red hair is clashing with the red wagon. And you got to make some decisions. Right, you know, you gotta, right. exactly. You got to make those decisions beforehand. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Great, great point. So after you do that, so now you've got your R&D, your 50 thumbnails, three roughs with value, a color study, a clean sketch. Now you do your finished painting. Here's what I want to talk about here is that a lot of the reason people don't get the work that they like is A, they didn't put in the preliminary steps, but B, they're also tight. I would be tight too if I have a big canvas or, 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 you know, I'm working on this big file, high resolution, and I'm just all of a sudden trying to paint this awesome thing. And now I'm tense because, oh man, I hope people like it. You know, I haven't done any preliminary mm -hmm. steps. The whole goal for this, this whole process is working through each stage in a way that reduces your stress level. If you notice on each step of those, there's never a consequence. You're just like, well, I'm just messing around. There's never a time mm -hmm. where I'm on the hook as, as an illustrator. Um, there's never a time where it's a final thing that I have to get approval on until the very end. And so once you're armed with all those things going into your final painting, your final painting will be the most relaxing stage and you can put on movies in the background. You can put on podcasts. You're not. You're almost not even thinking. Like I'm finishing this book right now. I'm listening to all kinds of stuff. I'm not thinking, even thinking about the painting. I've basically already got every bit of the ingredients down, and I'm just putting it in the stew to cook. If that makes sense. That's like awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 it's loose and it's and it's enjoyable. It's not this. Pre and a lot of students just put so much pressure on themselves because they're doing going from idea in their head to finish painting and man, why isn't it coming out? Now I'm stressed and I'm, and I'm hating myself and I'm hating my work. And this process, I promise you, if you go through each one of those stages and you can actually check it off with a check that says you did it, you'll get a good image. Mm -hmm. I love it. That's great. Mm -hmm. Cool. Next question. <laughs> did I guess? That was a big answer for one question. <laughs> it just happened to be what it just happened to be kind of what I'm working on anyway. So um, anyway, uh, so I'm here's the question. I'll let you guys talk now. Um, I'm not sure which area of illustration I belong in. What do you suggest that I do to figure that out? So maybe this is a mid-level student. Mm -hmm. They're they're doing all mm -hmm. kinds of stuff. How do they how do they narrow it down? I've I've, well, I've heard question. this question a lot of times, and my answer is always the same, which is um, 
you you obviously like doing something because you're listening to this podcast and you're uh, thinking about becoming an illustrator full time. Pick a project in a in a in a discipline in illustration. Maybe it's children's books. Maybe it's graphic novels. Maybe it's book covers. Maybe it's uh, product illustration. Whatever. I mean, what made you interested in the first place? Do that thing. Start there. And, and then after you do that, do a project in another area. You're going to like one more than the other. I mean, I, I, so I started, maybe this will help. I started as a um, editorial illustrator. And the reason I did that was because it was easy to, to get work at the time because there was tons of magazines, tons of newspapers, and they were assigning tons of work. I didn't Mm -hmm. realize that I didn't really like coming up with conceptual illustrations it wasn't my cup of tea. I wasn't that great at it, but I did it for three or four or five years, probably closer to five years. And at one point around the four year mark, I realized I would rather tell stories. So it just became natural. It was like when in my spare time, I was always doing a children's book illustration on my own for my portfolio. And I started mm. showing them to my rep and she's like, these are great. These are like, Will, these are, I like these better than your editorial stuff. Do you want me to try to start getting you work in the children's book area? And I'm like, I, I guess so. Because I never thought of myself as a children's book illustrator in the beginning. You know, it just wasn't really where I wanted. I want to see, see some of your editorial stuff. Oh, I've got a ton that I can show you. You think, don't. Leave, think you really Brad don't. Holland, but, uh, <laughs> that's exactly. <laughs> well, with, you, with your dry brush acrylic, if that's what you were doing yeah, back then. Yeah. Um. I do picture Brad Holland. Yeah, I mean, and I was, I was, I was following a lot of people uh, that were making a lot of money. I was doing a lot of annual, annual reports, making good money doing that. But it came mm-hmm. came a point where all of a sudden I was like, "Oh, I don't like doing this. I'm I'm just doing it for the money." That will always wear off, by the way. Uh, doing mm-hmm. something just for the money—it's exciting in the yeah. beginning because you're you're like, "I can't believe I'm getting paid. I'm making art. I'm getting paid for it." But after a while, that little itch of I'm not being satisfied artistically will take over. And if you listen to it, it'll take you into a better realm because you'll you'll start feeding your soul more. And it's much more rewarding to, to make the art that you really want. And so that's why that's how I made the transition. So my advice is just start doing something. You're not gonna you probably won't be able to pick your exact perfect place because you haven't done mm-hmm. enough. So start doing and it'll start to you'll start to find anyway what do you this is going to yeah. be a really tough one i'm going to ask you guys this is kind of an elaboration on what will's talking about here but what do you say to somebody who wants to do something that's outside their skill set like say say somebody wants to be a character designer concept artist and we all know the difficulty level of that and the likelihood that somebody's going to get. I mean, the skill set has to be so incredibly high to be a full-time concept artist. Um, what if what if that's right. the area that they're interested in? What do you say, or what do you recommend? Um, I, I'll I'll take this one. Your your best your best chance at success is just getting your foot in the door, doing something. So uh, start by doing work that. Um, that plays to your strengths. So, yeah, you want to be a character artist, but you're actually 
not bad at like coloring or painting right and so like i'm thinking animation here but it could be you know it could be uh, applied across the board anywhere find out what your your strengths are see what your strengths are play to those build a portfolio that that um that really shows off those strengths the whole time you're practicing you're getting better at the thing that you really really want to do and and get your foot in the door so it might be like well i'm okay at graphic design so you'll get a job at a place that needs a graphic designer meanwhile you can transfer it's so much easier to transfer through departments um getting sort of getting your foot in the door that way than than um competing with all the a players who are also competing for that job you know what i'm saying so like for me at blue sky uh yeah character design would have been awesome that would have been a fun job i saw though that there was never a character design job being listed being posted but uh but environment design kept coming up and i was like well i'm not bad at environments i could do that and so i put together environment portfolio got a job as an environment artist was working on environments and every once in a while they'd be like well let's uh let's let's see what jake can do with characters and i would get a character design job and then i would fail at it <laughs> and be like you, you go back to, to uh, environments jake but um but my, the other thing was is i wanted to try storyboarding too like that looked like such a fun cool job and so i would try out for the storyboarding thing and then i would realize you know storyboarding was such a different beast than doing environment design and i wasn't um i wasn't like cut out for that as well so just i was i had the opportunity to try out for storyboard department realized it wasn't for me and and then i was much more content being an environment artist because i was like well you know better this than failing miserably at something that i'm no good at you know and at least I can have find success here. So there's that. I think overall illustration, like Will said, it's uh, it's um, you just got to try stuff and see what sticks and what works. And if there's something you're really interested, in, you want to do it, um, practice at it and, and work at it until you have a portfolio that reflects uh, proficiency in that thing. Yeah, I don't think that you. I think that your best you is doing the thing you love. So even though there's a lot of people trying to do the thing, there's tons of competition in area. There's tons of competition in every area of illustration. True. So just yeah. do the best work you can possibly do. And it might, you might, an art director might see you for something that you didn't necessarily want to do, but that's the foot in the door that you're talking about, Jake. With the- yeah. I also want to add too, like maybe the end game isn't, you're getting paid for this like that might that might t- sap all the fun out of it as well maybe maybe your best version of yourself is that you have whatever job that you have and it pays you just fine and there's no stress when you go to sit down to illustrate because there's no money hanging on the line there's no career hanging on the line and you actually get to sit down and enjoy your time doing that like not everything has to become your job mm-hmm. right as well at least not right away. Well, it's, I'm going to add a little bit to what you guys are saying. Um, I agree with, obviously, everything that you guys are saying there. Uh, one thing that I would recommend, though, is interviewing yourself. Remember how I was talking about interviewing a character for a, a few minutes ago? Well, you yeah. can do the same thing for yourself. And I don't think a lot of people, at least I didn't as a student enough, um, in hindsight, 
interview myself, like ask yourself, not only a lot of people just look at the finish, like, oh, I like this kind of work. I don't like this kind of work. But you're really talking about the finish, like the way it looks at the end. But mm. how do you like working? I, are you somebody who likes working at a really fast pace and doing a lot of different projects? Are you like somebody that likes parking on one image and staying there for a week or two weeks, you know, or three weeks? Are you somebody who likes physical media? Like if you're, if you're somebody who's, oh, I like to paint big, I like to paint slow, and I like realism – that's probably not a good fit for children's books. You're mm-hmm. going to be more of a gallery kind of person that just naturally is going that way. So what kind of person are you? And then, and, and, and what kind of work do you like to do? And, and the, and the pace and the process and the, and all of it kind of goes together. Interview yourself. Like what do you, not just the final art, you got to look at that too, obviously, but what do you enjoy in terms of the process? Cause if you don't like the process, you're not going to enjoy your job. Good point. And so it can kind of guide you a little bit. Yeah. You're going to be in more in process than in showing the finishes throughout your life. I can promise you that. (laughs) So you better like what you're doing. Um, Let's see. That's true. Like, um, it's really nice to have a finished comic book. Like, that's cool. and, and, And it's fun to read a finished comic book. But it's entirely different to sit down and draw page after page after page of comic. And if you like, if you're not enjoying the act act of actually spending a day or two days on a page, putting some love into each panel, um, then maybe comics isn't for you. You know, yeah, it's it's a good point because there there's a while there where I was like, man, comics are really hard. Do I actually like doing <laughs> right. what I'm doing right now? And then I realized, like, no, this is actually, you know, when I realized it was less about um uh you know busting out a page and more like spending some time learning how to draw a character and drawing them in different pose and just having fun with each panel it became much more enjoyable for me i should add that that know that no matter which job you or which area you pick there's still work involved it's not all going to be you know roses and 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 honey it's 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 it's, a, it's work and 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 different stages of the job have different hurdles that need to be overcome. I, I know with doing books, I've done a lot of books at this point, and it's funny because, again, knowing what you like to do and what you can do, sometimes those are two different things. I'm a really fast painter. So my up to this current book that I'm working on now, every time I'm taking too many book projects, and then as I go into the finish, I got basically have to do a finished painting a day. And I, I, there was one period where I did that for like two years. Like, wow. like there, I had like five books coming out and I was flying and it just, it felt like I was just like a fast food server. Like, here you go, here you go. You know, I'm just handing yeah. out the illustrations. And if, if I didn't get to the point where I wanted to an illustration too bad, I had to move to the next one. Cause I, I was just under too much pressure. And, um, and at that point I was saying, I don't know, do I really want to be a book illustrator? I'm not liking this. And this book that I'm working on now, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to slow the whole thing down. I'm going to say that I should probably shouldn't say this out loud, but I'm going to say that my actual deadline of when I can do it is way farther down the line than I actually could do it and give myself just more time than I actually think I could do it faster if I wanted to, but I want to give myself more time and, and I'm enjoying it so much more slowing down a little bit. So you're in control of some of these gears too. how much you take. I see students a lot of time do this move where they want to graduate fast. So they take five classes instead of three, but then they're miserable as a student, like right. they're moving too right. fast. It's too much work to, and too much information to absorb. And so you just got to kind of, no matter what avenue you pick, 
you got to find your pace. Mm-hmm. And and I'd rather say go take on less and do a better job than taking on more. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Good. We could put that one to bed. Put it to bed. Mm-hmm. Feel soapboxy today. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Here's what you're going to want to do, you whippersnappers. Um, okay, so this is a question. I guess Will would well, – I guess all three of us are good with this. This is a physical – uh, media kind of thing. Can you, uh, I want to make and shall sell prints of my work. Is there any advice on where to start with that? And a follow-up question to that is I'm framing for a gallery show. Lee mentioned some framing tricks in a podcast. Can I share that? So I'll go into that in a second. Do you, what do you guys think about, uh, people making prints and is that a viable thing to do if you haven't done it yet? I mean, I think that, um, go for it, Will. I think that before you spend any money, you need to you need to have an audience first. I mean, we live in a digital world where where you you don't have to go upside down money wise. You can I mean with social media you can you, I mean, the demand will come to you if it's there. Um mm-hmm. you can you can you might tease it by by uh, you know, if you have a decent social media following, you might check people's interests and say, "Hey, I'm thinking about making a print or I did make a print." You don't even have to have made it. You can mock it up, but you can say, "I've got these prints. I'm thinking about selling my shop. Is anybody out there? You know, what's the interest level?" Um, there's a lot of different ways to do that, but the biggest thing is just I think artists in general are are eternal optimists. We're just optimistic by nature, I think, mm-hmm. and just don't be op- too optimistic with your money that you have to recoup. You know, there's there's ways to do it without doing that. Except for Van Gogh, he wasn't. <laughs> I wouldn't describe him as not the true. <laughs> you mean 21st century artist? Yeah. Maybe I don't know. Uh, I would say for prints, Will's right. Part one is find the audience first, and just know that for every person that says um, you should make a print of that, I'll buy it. They're definitely not going to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> for every person, that didn't make sense. For every, let me let me fix that. For every fifty people, one will actually buy it. Yes, for for every fifty people, one will actually buy it. So just know uh, there's a lot of talk and not a lot of uh, um, walk. I guess what is that? How, how that a term? Lot, a lot of sizzle, not a lot of steak. <laughs> yeah, a lot of sizzle, not a lot of steak in that in that regard. So, um, so you you know, there's ways to do it and. And there's ways to to find that audience, but just know like it's it's a little bit harder than you think. That said, once you've got the audience that's willing to buy, and you've sort of trained them how to buy from you, um, uh, you can buy a printer, a really nice uh, uh, inkjet printer from Epson, or I would recommend the Epson ones, and get the nice archival paper and sell 50 or 100 prints and that thing's paid for itself and then some and and then you're you're just rolling every time you get a print it's like printing money so uh, you might even want to sell like a a lot of people have on instagram have a really successful way of posting their originals and and mm -hmm. selling them and they they all sell and that might that might lead into print sales because if you're able to sell all your originals there's probably people that really would love to have a print that missed out on the original that's a good point yeah 
like uh, that. one thing that Jake just brought up the word archival. Um, I, I've, if you're just getting into prints, I agree with Will and, and Jake in that it's going to be probably a slower road than you think. Uh, and so be conservative there, but don't be conservative to the point where your product sucks. Um, if you go to uh, Kinko's and get a print, those prints that come off an inkjet printer or, or whatever, laser, laser color printer, uh, Office Depot, those kind of things, those prints are fugitive inks. And what that means is those inks are not archivally rated, meaning they will fade in almost any kind of light, even shade over like a three-year period. Inks from those office supply product places, Kinko's, whatever, will fade. They suck. And so if you sell a print and you cheaped out on that part, you're going to have some very angry customers. And so I always think, even though it's a slow road, the print that I'm handing a customer now, I'm, I'm basically wanting that customer for life. I want them to be impressed with the product. I don't want them to be pissed at now that I have their money. That That's just the starting point. Mm. And so don't cheap out on that. You need archival stuff. That said, you don't have to spend a ton of money. Maybe you go in. What I always recommend for students and early uh, uh, professionals doing this is go in with a group of people and buy a printer. Printers are not expensive. The Epson archival uh, 13 by 19 uh, inch printers, 500 bucks, 600 bucks. You go in with five people because mm-hmm. you're not printing every day, right? right. Uh, and so that's how I would start is, is archival ink, archival paper. Um, so make sure those two things are there and then start online. So you have your, your store, go ahead and get an Etsy shop. Your Etsy store will sell so many fewer prints than you think it will. Even when you're established, they keep changing the metrics for Etsy. I've been doing Etsy for, for years and make a, some years make a bunch of money and then all of a sudden it all goes away. Like, wait, I was making all this money. Now there's nothing coming in from it. They keep changing their logarithm. So don't think that you can just put something on Etsy once and have it sell. It's a constant maintenance there at Etsy and re-updating your your shop or whatever. But go ahead and get something online. You're not going to sell a bunch there, but you want to have your product um, flow figured out. Like, here's how I'm printing it. Here's how I'm mailing it and that kind of thing. Then put it up online. You'll sell a couple of prints. And then the next step is doing a couple of very small shows. You can typically share a table with somebody, like a small Comic-Con or a small publishing fair, whatever. There's all these little little shows in different cities. Um, and share, share a table with somebody. It's super cheap. And don't look to make a bunch of money from that. The first whole year is just figuring out, like Jake said, what do people want to buy? What will they actually buy versus saying they like something, that there is a difference there. Um, and then so start with a small show. After the first year, you'll figure out, hey, people like this kind of image. They don't buy this kind of image. And the second year on, you'll be rolling with it. But that first mm-hmm. year, it's just like any business. There's startup costs. There's research and development that you got to figure out. And so you just got to – but you can do it in these small step ways. You don't have to go all in. And I agree with Will. Don't go all in thinking you're going to make a ton of money. Cool. All right. What do we got next? Um, I did want, I'll add just real quick, since I'm still on my soapbox today, the framing tips, I posted this on our forum. Oh, that's right. There's a framing, framing tips part. If if you're doing live shows, which a lot of people do end up doing shows at coffee shops, and then they graduate to galleries and, 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 and different kind of events like that, framing will come into play and how you think about building your original images can cost you or save you thousands of dollars down the road. So my tips there are 
work in common sizes. If you're framing in pre-built sizes, uh, 11 by 14, 16 by 20, uh, 20 by 24, 22 by 28, these are all very standard sizes, and that's going to be your absolute cheapest framing option is pre-built frames. Uh, even Michaels and shops like that have pretty decent-looking frames, but the second you go off that standard size, you just literally quadrupled how much a frame cost. You can get really nice um, frames at Ikea. Yeah, absolutely. Standard. Standard. Yeah. I mean, sort for the standard. price, you can get a Sweden. you can get a really nice. Um, they look nice. They don't last. <laughs> yeah. They're, 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 I mean, they're not the quality. They're not custom. Quality's pretty low. <laughs> but, but for like but, seven or eight bucks a frame. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next yeah. the next tip I have there is when you're when you are framing something, you are not framing it for the audience. That's what a lot of people get stuck in, and then they spend a bunch of money on frames. A frame is just basically to make the art look okay, to look nice, and to protect it when you're traveling with it. They assume that whoever buys a painting is going to frame it in the way they want to frame it. Everybody's house is different. So when you're trying to guess, oh, what's what's the, everybody going to like in terms of a frame for a piece? Oh, so it's kind of like packaging almost. Correct. It's, it's just a nice yeah. way to package it. And that takes all the pressure off you getting this super ornate custom frame that somebody's going to change out anyway because it doesn't match their house. Mm-hmm. So get a get a very standard thing. Uh, so the last thing I'll add is weight and and depth. So weight it at shows and 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 galleries that you might not be in your same city eventually. Uh, the depth of a painting, like how far does it stick out from the wall, is an issue because you can't sell a painting that's not at a show. And there's only so much space in a vehicle or to ship something unless you have a ton of money to pay shipping. If you have a real fat frame, that means fewer pieces of art are going to be there. So I always try to frame very thin frames, again, looking at that from the wall, from the side of the frame. Um, Keep that small. And then a smaller frame, a thinner frame is a lighter frame, which means shipping and moving it around from different shows is going to be less expensive and easier. Cool. All right. That's all I'll say about that. I've got, I'll add a couple more things in the show notes if you guys want to see that or go to the forum uh, where I've posted a big long thing about it. Uh, this is a time management thing. Um, what is your favorite productivity hack? Uh, number one, top of the line, not all the productivity tips you have, but what's the one thing that, that gets you the most bang for the buck? The iPad Pro. <laughs> So it's just a piece of hardware. It is. It's like because you can because you can work anywhere. So if you're you know if you have a family and you're needed to go you know to a ball game, take the kids to a ball game, go to the doctor's office anywhere. That that's been the single most productivity hack I've had. Just being able to work anywhere, vacation. And the fact that you're not having to prepare traditional meals, what are you comparing that to? Yeah, like, like, um, so here's here's the biggest thing. So I would my process before iPad Pro was sketchbook, drawing, thumbnailing, working out details for an illustration. I I I would get it to a decent comp stage, but I I needed to enlarge it to continue working on it because I don't throw away. I work up, 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 up. I, I work on the same. From thumbnail to finish, I'm enhance. I'm constantly enhancing it, and I was doing that before digital. So I would use this copy machine to enlarge, lighten it up, draw over it again and again and again, in and out of the computer scanner. And I had to I had to wait until I got home to where I could use that equipment. So it was right. constantly slowing me down. Well, on the hmm. iPad Pro, you can 
you know, or any tablet monitor that you take with you. I mean, you can just keep working. It's true. I see Will all the time busting that thing out. I'm watching him when he's at the DMV, <laughs> in line at Wendy's. <laughs> oh, that's great. I have one and I need, I need, I go through periods where I use it a bunch and then I put it away mm. and don't really use it that much. And yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I agree too. Like the iPad pro was super handy. If you don't have like a dedicated space that you're working at all the time, um, you know, if you've got, if you've got a setup at home, but then you have a day job and you got to go to there, um, if just having that thing with you is, is good. But I think for me, a free um, productivity hack would be um, uh, batching tasks. So um, there's, there's such a huge cost, like a inertia cost in switching gears all mm. the time. And so um, what I mean by that is checking email and then st- moving away from email and working on, you know, a drawing and then seeing an email pop up and checking email again and then getting lost in email or checking your Instagram, doing an Instagram post and then, you know, going back to the drawing. All of that is like every time you switch gears, it takes a few minutes if you're good, 15 minutes if you're if you're normal to get back into the gear of, of what, what you were doing before. Right. And so what I, what I do is any sort of administrative tasks, like I've got to do a post, I've got to check email, I've got to answer direct messages. I've got to, um, uh, you know, handle finances. All of that stuff is sort of, um, busy to do work. And I'm not gonna. I'm not going to split it up in the middle of creative work. So I'm gonna batch all those tasks uh, at one point of the day. I'm gonna check all my email at one point. I'm gonna check, you know, all my Instagram stuff or, or social media stuff at one point. And then that leaves me like as much constant time to work on creative stuff as I can. So I can carve out two or three hours uninterrupted of just doing creative stuff. And so that's, that's my hack. That's good. That's good. That's, that's sort of in line with my hack too. So I'll, I'll just add right on top of that. I totally agree with what Jake is saying. That's super smart. My hack on top of that is to figure out how many of those batches you want to work in a day and just block them out. And then again, I'm used, just like I've mentioned earlier about going through an image, I use checks and X's. I say, my, my day is broken down to like one 50 minute admin block, four blocks, 50 minutes each. And cause you just got to figure out how long you can work with focus. So four blocks of doing book work and then three blocks of doing either gallery or just personal work. And I go through each one of those and I just check them off as I go. And so as, as long as I've got each of those blocks written, they're all in my iCal and I blocked them all together. And um, I find that I enjoy the day quite a, quite a lot Some, and, and be willing to change it, obviously, if something interrupts it or, or something messes up. So I'm constantly moving that stuff around. But I am trying to say, you know, looking at it from a, from a long point perspective, how many things am I do I need to get done in a day? And, and, you know, if I do seven or eight blocks of 50 minutes at a time, I typically, typically am finishing a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So cool. easy breezy. 
Oh, uh, All right, this should be an interesting one. Um, should I do a month monthly art challenges like Inktober and Mermaid? What's the pros and cons? Can I take do that you? one? <laughs> you don't have the credentials to take that. <laughs> All right. Here's what I say. Figure out what your goals are as an artist and see if these challenges support that. Okay. So what I mean by that is I had um, uh, an assistant who uh, was getting all, uh, you know, making all these plans, what he was going to do for his Inktober project. How's he going to get it finished? You know, um, what he's going to do with it afterwards. And I stopped and I said, this is all good. This is really exciting stuff. But what's your number one priority right now? Oh, I need to get a portfolio so I can get a job at uh, animation studio. Okay, that's that's really good. That's very important. How is Inktober going to help you doing all spending all this time in Inktober going to help you with your portfolio? And we did the math. We did the we went back and forth. We realized that thirty one Inktober drawings is good for like building a social media, maybe maybe finding a few more followers that way or improving in inking, but didn't translate to putting the type of work that he needed to put into his portfolio. And I said maybe you're better off. Instead of doing 31 drawings, do half as many drawings or don't do it all together and just spend that time doing four or five portfolio pieces that you know an animation studio is going to want to see. So that's what that's what I that's the advice I give. Like do one of these challenges if it helps you accomplish your artistic goals. And maybe it's a way that you can shoehorn that challenge into a way to master or, or accomplish these goals so maybe you do mermaid or kaijun or march of robots or you know die november or whatever whatever these challenges are inktober but you do it in a way where it's definitely going to build out a project that is going to get you to that end goal so you want to be a children's book illustrator maybe your project is you do a children's book about mermaids and every day is an illustration for that mm-hmm. children's book you know or if uh, maybe you want to get into comics, maybe your Inktober project is development art, concept art for the comic that you want to draw. So every day you take the prompt and you figure out a way to uh, create you know, a character or an environment or a prop or a vehicle or something that's going to go into this comic. And then you've got all this concept art ready so that when you sit down and draw the comic, you don't have to spin wheels thinking, well, what is, what is this bad guy going to look like? You know, you can just go. I've already drawn them. Now I can. Now I can. Now I can do them. So that that's my advice there. I like it. That's really that's really good. That I'll add a different spin to that too. And what you want to avoid, in my personal opinion, with those kind of challenges is is being busy. Is the idea that being busy is moving you forward in some way. You just got want to, you don't want to mm-hmm. be busy. Just because your pencil's moving does not mean you're moving yourself forward. And that's kind of a different way of saying exactly what Jake's saying. And I, lo- I love what he's saying is like, have some kind of thing that you're working toward, but watch out for just being overly busy without it leading anywhere, unless you're just enjoying it. Again, if it's not your job and there's no end goal, go for it and, yeah. and draw every day and right. just have fun with it. Or if you're exploring media, like I've never worked in ink before or I started it and I need to get better and that can be an end goal and that's totally fine that's a technical kind of thing and that's where I say those are great for that but you know to do a mermaid every day if you're just like slogging through it and you're not totally enjoying it but like okay I did it you know I don't know it doesn't seem like a good good I'm gonna thing to piggyback do. on that and say just 
my 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 feeling is I, I've known people who have done really really well as far as getting client work from doing the, the, the contest. But the thing that I would imagine they all have in common, this is kind of going to what you're saying, Lee, is if you're not going to apply yourself times 10, don't do it. If you do Inktober, mm-hmm. and, I, and I would probably also advise people to do Inktober over the other ones, and the reason for that is just the, the um, amplification that you get from doing Inktober is bigger than all the others. So if you're going to do one a year, if you have bandwidth to do one really, really well, and, and I, I would also start long before October. I would start many, many months right. before, and I would use it as a vehicle to launch my social media or project it into the, you know, to double it, triple it, whatever. But That's a great point, Will. How, how would you say, what do you mean start it early? Like start getting concepts you know, together? Yeah. Start... I wouldn't leave it to chance. I would, I would say I would, it would be very calculated and it would be, um, I mean, I, I'm not drawing, uh, you, the people that, that have done really, really well in Inktober that I've seen you guys point out, like Jake's pointed out some of them before, are not artists that I've followed. So I'm not pulling up any names right now, but some people have gone, I mean, they have spent, they've treated it like it's, it's more important than an assignment in some cases, you know, it's like, it's, it's something that they've really fallen in love with and it, and the, the amount of reshares and likes and the attention, I mean, that's what you're looking for, for, for any work that you do. But the thing about doing Inktober is it's got it's got so much momentum behind it with, with so many people doing it that art directors are going to be looking at some of the stuff. So I, that's what I, I like about Inktober too, cause you can kind of tailor it to your own subject matter. Some of these other ones are so subject matter specific. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, just, I wouldn't draw a, a mermaid at 30 times, 31 times. I just don't right. <laughs> see that happening. <laughs> Maybe two. Maybe two, and then I'm I'm sort of done with. <laughs> I would one one other thing uh, that I would add to to my answer would be, personally, if I were doing it, I would, I would make it into a a project that has unity, that so it's one big project. And you've done that, Jake, with your poster. I'm sure most people that are listening to the podcast have probably seen your Inktober posters that you've done. I would do something along those lines where it's not only are you working really hard every day, but it's also creating a, a product at the end of the day. Right. Every one of my Inktober's, um, since the very beginning, uh, Inktober drawings that I've done has had a second life as something else. Um, and some of them I've capitalized on and some of them I haven't yet. Uh, but they've either turned into a print or they've turned into a book or they become back matter for a book or they've, become concept art for another project um very rarely are they just drawings to draw and that's i mean there's nothing wrong with that either and maybe i should do that Hmm. once in my life what are you gonna what do you are you at liberty to say what you're gonna do this time yeah so uh i'm doing a a third uh, poster like i did uh uh, like a not a poster but it's like a, a a print a long landscape like print um, full of characters and the subject matter is going to be Skyheart. So it's all Skyheart. Oh, characters. Cool. cool. So that's, so that's exactly what Will was talking about a second ago is like, you got a plan and then you were talking about having a, some kind of end goal. So we've kind of, yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're walking the walk, you're sizzling, sizzling the steak. 
yep. steak and my, the sizzle. My steak is sizzling, and there's a steak with that sizzle. And I'm walking and eating. I'm talking through with my mouth full, or talking Wearing with my mouth full. Taking, taking the bull by the horns. Yeah. All right. Okay. I think it's time for one more. Okay. And then we'll call it good for today. All right. This will be a good one, I think. Uh, that people may get some good info out of my money is limited are student grade art supplies okay what is the difference between pro and student grade um and i i'm gonna expand on that to digital supplies we get always get the question is is it okay to do procreate instead of photoshop do i need photoshop you know so so what do people do that are on a budget here how do they get through this um you guys want to start there? it is um yeah when when i was painting in acrylics I realized that I had, as a student, I had bought about three or four times as many tubes as I needed. And I was buying paints that were mixed by the factory. And one of the things you have to remember or realize is that the paint manufacturers want to sell you as much paint as they possibly can. So they mix a lot of those paints, pigments, and come up with uh, beyond tertiary colors, is there a quadrupiary color? I mean, like, they come up, you know what I mean? They come up with these weird concoctions yeah. that you do not need. Um, and so it, if you're, so to the person who says they're on a budget, if I looked in your toolbox and I saw, you know, let's say 20 tubes, I would say you have at least double the number of tubes that you need and maybe even triple. And so if you're buying yeah. less, but buying the right ones, then you can save money that way. But to me, the the professional grade is a, is a must, at least for the te- technique that I was using. I could not do dry brushing with the student grade because they just add more water and the paint just wasn't thick enough, didn't have enough body uh, to dry brush with. So mm-hmm. it was not even possible to use a student grade for what I was doing. Right. And that's the, I should clarify that that's so the difference between the student grade paint, uh, the ones that, you know, offer a lot of volume, but they're cheap. There's a reason for that. And that's they're they're adding typically fillers and all kinds of stuff to, to the paint and less pigment. Pigment is, is expensive. Weak. Yeah. So it's, it's so, so it's a weak. worse. What the heck? What'd you say? <laughs> <laughs> and it it just tastes, tastes horrible. Tastes horrible. So one of the things that's interesting about when I when I teach a beginning painting class is we talk about this um, thing specifically, and that's a lot of times you can get student grade um, paints, put them right next to pro grade paints, put them out, and I'll take like an ultramarine blue or something, put them both on the canvas. They both look pretty similar. So the students are like, well, wait. So the student grade is just because the pro, and then show them the difference. Is the difference in student grade paints is once you start mixing there's not a lot of pigment, right? And so all of a sudden, when you start mixing student grade paints, the um, vibrancy and the saturation is way less than the pro grade paints. So just pulled out of the tube, they might look the same. The second you start mixing them, the student grade ones are a disaster. Mm-hmm. Now I do have a uh, hack for that if anybody wants it. Um, if you really are limited in funds, uh, a technique called glazing, which is very transparent paint on the top. And so what I would recommend students do is do basically their painting it the colors might be a little washy a little faded or whatever and then that last little layer is just a transparent color layer and man you can make it the most vibrant paintings you've ever seen with very little paint so anyway that's a side deal i don't want to get too, too far into techniques but there's ways to go about it but i agree with will is buy the best paints that you typically can and limit them oh another thing that on what will just said if you go to the art store and look at the paints like say you get a 
a paint. So I'll just make up one sky blue. You look at the sky blue on the side, they'll list the actual, you know, three mm-hmm. base paints that that sky blue is made out of. And so you should be able to get by with seven or eight paints. Yeah. I yeah. actually have, I will say too. I was going to say, ahead. I have a list of the paints that I bought that you can, that you can make in my acrylic painting class at sbslearn.com. Um, so there's that just, just throwing that out there that, that, mm-hmm. and, the, and they're the, the base number of paints that you can buy or pigments that will allow you to basically replicate as close to possible the, the rainbow, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, so yeah, you great. just don't want to buy. I was just going to, huh? I was just going to add, I thought <laughs> you're done. You're, you're, you're taking these pauses that are way, I'm, I'm way too long. You. I'm Go ahead. Well. That's his John, John F. Kennedy <laughs> speaking pattern where he's, no, I'm just saying that, uh, you, if you don't make it up, like get help, either from us or from someone else on which paints to buy, because if you buy pre-mixed pigments, you're, you're not going to be able to recreate all the colors that you need. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. I will add to, as far as, um, markers, pens, inks, those types of things. Um, you're definitely going to see a difference there as well. Uh, the tips will wear out faster. Um, the ink is a little bit waterier. It doesn't come out as rich and as thick, and um, and the colors again don't don't blend as well. So if you're if you're buying cheaper markers than Copics, that's just what you're gonna you're gonna deal with. Or and even with the paper too, um, the paper won't hold up to any sort of beating. You'll, you'll start getting um, the the color bleeding through. And even like tearing, if you try to race on it or anything like that. So I wouldn't cheap out on your, on your art supplies, especially if this is something you want to pursue professionally, save up your money, uh, um, go with, uh, go with less either in your personal life or try to make more art with less, um, like Will was saying, use less colors and see what you can do with, with the limitations they have and who knows you might even make greater art better art with two color two uh tubes of paint than if you had 10 tubes of paint good great point my mom took a watercolor class and they the the supply list was 20 paints oh, yeah. i was like come <laughs> on man that i, I only use yeah. seven why would she need 20 yeah. she's a beginner um yeah that's good what about software and and, and stuff like that oh right so um, if you're going to be like f- f- making finished polished illustrations for, uh, for uh, a children's book, I think you do need Adobe products. You need to sign up for a uh, creative cloud or, or something like now, that. Are you getting paid um, for that at all? Photoshop. <laughs> no, I wish I was. <laughs> Adobe, call me up. <laughs> we could work something out. No, um, the Photoshop just has so many like color correcting tools in there that's just going to make your life so much easier. Um, InDesign, I've become somewhat proficient in, and that's been hugely helpful yeah. in putting books together um, and just being able to lay out your books and seeing how how everything looks uh, is going to look. And they, and they're super grateful too. I think having having you do that on the publishing end. Um, if 
if uh, if you're doing comics, I think you could get by with Clip Studio Paint, and that's a great that's a great program, much cheaper than Photoshop, and I recommend it for concept art or for comic books or for um, any sort of like illustration work that you're that you're going to do where maybe you're not building out like a finished book um but it's it is designed for making comics so it's good for that and then uh procreate is really good to getting uh, procreate will get your stuff 90 percent there and i always take them into photoshop and do like the last 10 percent in photoshop because i could see it on the big screen i could see it in truer colors i could see um uh it's just it just feels like I could I could adjust colors as needed. I can add layers and and fix things a little bit better in Photoshop. So um, I this last book, children's book that I did, I did a ton of it in on the iPad in Procreate, but I couldn't finish it in Procreate. I had to mm-hmm. take it into into Photoshop. The last little bit to it. If you didn't have the money, you just didn't have the money. You could do a lot with an iPad Pro and Procreate, but it's not I. It's mm-hmm. still, to me, not 100% there for a professional illustrator. Well, I'll tell you what I did, too. Like, w- when I didn't have a lot of money, every job that I got, uh, I just budgeted out. A, sec- a portion of that money I would get would be go-, go towards a fund to buy a Cintiq, a fund to buy a new computer, a fund to buy Photoshop, you know, to just get me, like, to the level where I was having the professional tools that I needed. You know, I... W- I had a, a cheap, like, tiny scanner, and I was scanning comic book pages in the scanner. Half a page, actually, I, I would do it in three sections, and then take it into Photoshop and stitch them together. And that was the cheaper solution, but it was more expensive in that it took way more of my time. But at that time, my I had more time than I had money, so I didn't mind doing it. But as once as I had a little bit more money than I had time. I bought a large scanner so I wouldn't have to spend all that time stitching images together. And so um, just be thinking long-term that you want to get out of that situation where you can't afford the proper tools to do the job that you want to do. I'll add to that, that our business, you know, being an illustrator is a business just like any other business. I say that a lot. And our startup costs are so low compared to like, if you were going to open like a, like a pizza shop, your oven would cost more than all of our tools combined. Right. right. <laughs> That's not even the, no, beginning. for real. I, I talked to a guy who opened, uh, it's called Bruges in up in Utah and it's Belgian French fries. Basically they're called frites Frites. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to him like, Oh, this is so cool. You started this thing. Like, I'm just curious, like what, what is it? I didn't ask like specifically like what's it cost, but like what, what did you need to actually do this? And he's all, you see that there, that special fryer, it's made in Germany or whatever. He's like, that thing costs $80,000. French fries. Yeah, ex- exactly. One of my friends opened up cafe, which you wouldn't think is th- that big of a deal, but even their like commercial grade, you know, espresso maker thing, it's 20 grand. Wow. I mean, out the door for us. I mean, oh my gosh, like what? Four thousand dollars could buy you like a, a home computer an ipad pro and a subscription to photoshop and that's kind of all yeah. you really need to get going it's not it's not bad and that's if you started with nothing and so right. 
you know, pieces to keep it in perspective, I guess, when somebody says they can't afford Photoshop, what is that monthly thing? If you're a student, you know, you click the student button on that. I don't know how much it is right now. 50 bucks a month would even probably be more than it is. But if it was 50 bucks a month, that is like, it's not much compared to other businesses. Right. I'll I'll also add too, um, I have tried the uh, knockoff Cintiqs, the Chinese-made oh, version. Oh, how did that go? Um, so initially, opening it up, I was like, well, holy cow, this is a third of the price, maybe less, maybe a fourth of the price. And I'm like, if this does the same job, why would I ever buy a Cintiq? And I could immediately tell there was just a few things where they're cutting corners, that all the plastic was felt cheaper, felt thinner, you know, a little bit more wobblier fine whatever as long as it does the job um and it did the job fine pressure sensitivity was great uh the the image coming through the screen was was pretty good high resolution um but i noticed like with a with a cintiq or with wacom the pens you don't ever have to charge right and this one like it would run out of batteries and you'd have to plug it in and so you couldn't use it right or you would have to remember to like plug it in at night so there's that and then uh one day six months into it, it stopped working. Like it just wouldn't mm-hmm. turn on. And so, uh, and so we had to do some rigging. Some, I don't know, like just bang had on to it. like mess with it and pick the plugs and, and things like that and hitting it and it got turned back on. And, and so it started working again, but I just felt so unreliable that I was like, okay, I could buy a new one of these once a year, once every couple of years, or I can save up the cash, buy something that isn't going to cost me extra time and actually be more reliable and yeah. last longer. Uh, so, so that's my advice. There. My, my first it, Cintiq was a, I, I couldn't afford the, the Cintiq, uh, the first one that came out and I wasn't even sure if I was going to like it. Um, so I definitely didn't want to drop money on the new one. So I just bought, waited around, you know, searching online, found a used one that was a super old model, like a 24 inch, super old model. And it was great. It never failed. I ended up selling it to a student after I was done with it. I mean, it was, it was awesome. Yeah. Same with me. I got mine used Cintiq and it's, and that was about eight years ago. Still going strong. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think Wacom, they've internally talked about how they make them too good because <laughs> they, <laughs> they don't wear out. Um, right, they'll start they'll start making them crappy yeah. so they so they break like washing <laughs> washing machines and <sighs> washer dryers, man, that they their planned obsolescence is like a two or three year window now, whereas my mom used like one for 45 yeah. years. It's so so different. Well, they do these washer and dryers have so many more components to them. Like they're taking the temperature of each individual article of clothing, and (laughs) and the computer's figuring out how much you know electricity it's going to take to dry that clothing. The dryer. We don't need that much information. Our cars and our machines are getting too sophisticated. I know one guy was like, "Yeah, my Tesla knows knows when I farted." <laughs> like turn on the air, really, like, blow the air out, like refresh the air. Well, we on my trip to Pacific Northwest, we we got upgraded, but just because I asked to this tricked out new brand new BMW, and it had 
uh, some kind of sensor where it could recognize hand gestures and it would turn up the radio. And so I'd just be telling a story to Lisa or talking and all of a sudden the, the music would blast <laughs> through the speakers because I did some hand gesture and I hated it, I, but I couldn't turn it off. There was nowhere to turn that <laughs> off. <laughs> like, please stop with the technology. <laughs> there, is, there is a particular hand signal that you can give the car that will tell it to turn off. <laughs> I won't, I won't say what it is here. <laughs> and on that note, let's go ahead and wrap up. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Three Point Perspective is made possible by svslearn.com, where becoming a great illustrator starts. Seriously, if you haven't subscribed or taken any of the classes, you're missing out. There's some really good, solid content there. If you liked anything we talked about here today, um, you'll, love, you'll love these classes. Your hosts have been Will Terry, Lee White, and Jake Parker. You can find... Will Terry's work online at willterry.com and go follow him. He's dying for, for new followers. He needs some. Uh, at Will Terry desperate. Art on Instagram. <laughs> Lee White is even in even a, a worse situation <laughs> over on Instagram. He, go follow him at Lee White please, please, please. And, and check out my YouTube channel, which has nothing there but Will. Yep. Go subscribe to his YouTube channel. There will be a video posted there someday. We're looking at early 2020, maybe. <laughs> That's a little optimistic. Okay. Uh, LeeWhiteIllustration.com to see his portfolio. Good stuff there. And I'm Jake Parker. I'm at MrJakeParker.com. And I, I'll take a few new followers on Instagram, uh, at Jake Parker on Instagram. Podcast is edited by Alex Sugg. Uh, that's Sug with two G's, and you can uh, contact him to edit your podcast at alexsug.com. And our podcast is produced by Tanner Garlic. He makes sure this thing gets up on the air so you can listen to it. And that, you can find his work. He's an artist looking for work at tannergarlicart.com. So if you like this episode, share it around, subscribe to it on iTunes or whatever podcasting place you use, <laughs> and leave a review, please. We love to see what people think. Um, we should read some reviews recently. I haven't read them in like a month, so I want to I see what, what you guys have been posting on there. That'd be cool. Uh, if you want to join on, on this particular discussion, we've got a vibrant and thriving forum over at svslearn.com. It's free to join. It's, it's very warm. Uh, uh, people love, uh, people are just positive and, and, and build each other up over there. So... Uh, go over there. There's a, a, a thread devoted just to this episode, and you can check that out. And um, and we'd love to hear what you think. If you have any thoughts that you want to add, or, or if you disagree with us, yes, we'd love to hear that too. Especially if you disagree with with <laughs> Lee or, or Will. So that's all for this one. We'll see you guys next time. Bye bye. <laughs>